Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, welcome to Utopia. Stephen Chicken joined down the line by David Hartrick. We've recorded this intro five times now. Would you like to do some banter, Dave? I'd just like you to stop laughing and get through the intro. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just push through it. Pretend it never happened. Stoke City 4, Huddersfield Town 3. What were your thoughts, Dave? Uh, Chaos. (laughs) I thought it was... I tweeted in the second half at one point. I didn't know if Town were going to win 8-4 or lose 7-3. It was just a, a really chaotic game. And I don't really mean that in a good way. I think we'll get into the specifics. But I think Liverpool and Leeds would tell you that they sort of their philosophy is to try and harness chaos. That was just chaos, I felt. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you get games where the ball just seems to be magnetically attracted to the back of the net. Um, we had one earlier this year away to Fulham where all of the five first five shots all just happened to go in and and games like that it's like well <laughs> sometimes football is just mad but this game it was it was just so many errors from from both teams you know all of the goals pretty well were preventable and you know both teams would say oh those were good goals for us for various reasons but but I think both teams would also say those were bad goals for us to concede big time. Mm. I think it's worth going through the goals one by one as we go into the analysis and just having a chat about all seven of them really but it was just it's slightly worrying that the players have had two weeks off effectively um, to sort of work on the training ground and go over what they need to do and be drilled into their patterns and their shape etc and then you have an opening 45 minutes like that where defensively I thought all four I know it's sacrilege to sort of criticise Toff, but I thought all four were were not great. I thought Toff played a bit high and he left Zara exposed a couple of times. Um, but it's all, I mean, they're all like curable problems, but it's just, it's a bit of a reminder how much work there is to do really more than anything. It's, it's, it's a reminder not to get sort of tricked into thinking that everything is is okay yeah I mean we talked about these defensive issues a few weeks ago and I asked you then if if you if you were concerned by it and you said you were more concerned by the lack of chance creation do you still hold that view um I do overall because I think this was it's quite rare that you'll get a game where all four of the back four make individual errors at different times you know that that doesn't I mean even in really bad sides that rarely (laughs) happens um, it was just a real... I honestly thought this was just a really strange game, Steve. Really weird game. Like, statistically, on your eyes, however you wanted to sort of view or judge this, I just think this was a real game. Like you say, it finished 4-3, and it, it, it was a game where, like, the attacking quality wasn't great. You know, like you said, it was down to the defence, really. And it, it just... I don't know. It was one of those games where I just had... It, it seemed to settle into a pattern about four times for four different patterns. Yeah. 
And yet again, Town have been beaten by a side who have basically decided to set up against Town as the away side, even though they're at home. And I just, my fear is Town are becoming a little bit easy to play against. Um, but we'll we'll get into that. Well, yeah, I think the main thing that they talked about, Michael O'Neill afterwards, not Martin O'Neill, as one of the journalists on the call called him <laughs> when he was within earshot and he apologised for, for not being Martin O'Neill when he came on the call. I don't think he needs to apologise there particularly, to be honest. Um, but, um, but no, he, he said that they specifically targeted Jonathan Hogg. He said he put John Obi McKell and Nick Powell on Hogg, basically, to, to just disrupt Town's play. And I think they will have obviously done their research. They've had extra time even for this season to to do the research and do the opposition analysis and they'll have looked at the fact that that Jonathan Hogg was central to everything good town did against Millwall and and Luton and arguably against Bristol City as well particularly when it comes to building the play from the back and it was notable that they were blocking his passing routes by which I mean the route to pass to Hogg and that was and every time he got on the ball they were straight on him as well you know don't let town build from the back by stopping Jonathan Hogg and the second goal that Stoke scored came from them closing down Hoggy and winning the ball off him high up the pitch and the third goal came from them just putting always having a man between town and Hogg and they didn't know what to do with the ball then and they ended up giving it away to Stoke in their own penalty box so that was a big a big factor and a big ploy that worked from Stoke and obviously you know they've conceded three goals themselves so it's not like it was a defensive masterclass but in terms of pressing high up the pitch they they did the job they set out to do yeah, I think you know. Did you know before coming into the game that Jonathan Hogg had the most highest successful passes in the division? I did. Yeah, I dug that um, out in the in the the stats that I did. He'd, I think he'd had the second most passes or third most passes of anyone, and yeah. but but more successful than anyone, uh, both in terms of short in in terms of short no. passes. No, I think it's worth saying that's not because he's spraying the ball about like a sort of Traquista in his absolute prime. It's because, you know, his passes on the pitch are often not easy, but there's a lot between the defenders and he's often the first pass of a move forward as well. But we've both talked about how good he's been over the last few games and Mm -hmm. how improved he was and how much we were both enjoying watching him. But I think it's interesting that a sort of quite basic piece of opposition analysis has really knocked town out of their rhythm to that degree. And I think I do think it's worth going through the goal, Steve. So it's it's well, well, let's get into them, shall we? And go through the goals. Yeah. Do we want to include town for the moment or should we just do yes. the Stoke goals? Yeah, 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 yeah. OK, so we've got Carolite in for the first one. It's a, a throw in off the left hand side, which I think Karoma or Toffolo takes. They have a bit of an exchange between Karoma, Toffolo and O'Brien. Uh, and they eventually they release Toffolo uh, just sort of on that, that elbow of the box, to use a Danny Cowley term. And he, he gets close to the box. Perfect cross for Carolite in absolutely what Aiton would have wanted. And he just side foots it into the bottom corner with a with a volley. He almost passes it into the bottom corner. So it's, it's a lovely finish, to be fair, and a brilliant, brilliant cross. Four assists for the season for, for Harry Toffolo. Um, and it's it's a goal that we've seen a lot from Huddersfield Town over the last year or so. Mm. And I, I think 
I, I, Stoke defensively weren't great on the goal, but mm. Iting coming in late like that and arriving at the edge of the box, we saw that with the header the other week as well. Just leaving that, just delaying that little run a bit Paul Scholes esque, um, and getting into the box that little bit later, that half a second later, that that makes the defenders, you know, forces space for yourself basically. And I thought it was, I thought it was a good goal. I thought it was. Great work from Toffolo again, who is is absolutely Town's key man now. You know, it it doesn't matter how many any of the strikers score or how the midfield play. Toffolo, it's unavoidable. He really is Town's main man at the moment. And I thought it was a good good finish from Iting. I thought that was a classic finish where if it had hit that better, it probably wouldn't have gone in. But the fact he just sort of side-footed it and used the pace of the cross to put it in, I thought made the goal really so it was a, it was a clever goal but then town's heads they just have a 10 minute basically brain fart yeah all right andy townsend first of all for uh, <laughs> if anything is it that not well enough but no i mean just before we move on you're right harry toffolo is so key just out of interest i went back uh, over the international break and looked at because I know there was a lot of praise to Stuart Dallas who played at left-back for Leeds last year, and I know they play a different formation, so it's a slightly different role, but he got a load, a load of praise from Leeds fans for the way that he was so influential in the final third and the way that he helped helped them in their play, and he got three assists in the whole of last season. Toffolo's on four already, so that, that, that tells you something. Um, but yeah, I mean, then, unfortunately, as we've seen so many times with Huddersfield, with this is the third time in six games we've seen them go ahead and then end up behind, and, and it was within 10 minutes, and Tyrese Campbell was... He got two goals at the John Smiths on New Year's Day and he got two goals again here and forced the own goal. Um, so the first one, yeah, it's, it's a set piece, um, plain and simple. And, and Town just, just don't defend it well enough. You know, Carlos Corbrand spoke after the game about how they just didn't deal well with second balls at all. And yeah, it's a, it's a poor goal to concede, isn't it? Yeah, like it's worth saying Tyrese Campbell is definitely the player that like a West Ham or Newcastle or someone like that is going to try and throw 22 million quid at in January. He's he's really really good. I mean, he's he's lower end Premier League. With that in mind, what you can't do is sort of leave a 6 foot gap in the middle of the penalty area mm. from a set piece to, you know, for anyone really to to be able to the ball a the ball to drop into. B for anyone to be able to get to that ball first other than a town player and yeah like I've said it a couple of times over the last couple of weeks but again that's a that's a goal where you think probably your manager's looking at that absolutely infuriated because it's just that's basic and I think like we're not going to bore people to death by getting into like man marking or zonal marking or how you want to do it it doesn't matter what system you use, you can't leave a massive gap in the middle of the penalty area. That's, that's that's you know, like, basic. So I would imagine Corbran will be absolutely furious at that goal. Yeah, it was it was Fraser Campbell's man, and he was touched tight on him on the, as the ball came in, and it, it was headed back across the box, and, and in between the ball coming in and it going back across the box, Campbell had sort of gone back towards his own goal and Cam- and sorry mm. Fraser Campbell had just uh, had gone back towards his own goal and Tyrese Campbell had sort of just stayed where he was and the ball just fell straight to him. He, ste- so. he, he basically steps inside 
and it in doing so has opened up about four feet of space for himself which is is way too easy way too easy yeah the second goal in terms of what the outfielders are doing i think is probably the most forgivable town are just they're trying to build the play so a loose ball falls to lewis o'brien he slips it into carolite in a couple of lovely touches from him to mm-hmm. to take it down and he passes it back to jonathan hogg and as soon as he's passing it to hogg nick powell comes roaring back onto onto hoggy and and wins the ball stephen fletcher just passes it into tyrese campbell but it's uh, before town have a, a chance to even react to him. I think Dehaney and and Stearman are both sort of caught on the hot by it. But I mean, Tyrus Campbell is so quick, um, and you know it's it's hard to attach too much blame to them. But Joel Pereira really should save it. It goes between his legs at the near post. Yeah, I I think we I think we need to probably have a separate conversation about Pereira. But that's as as much as we've just talked about how annoyed uh, Colburn will be with that first goal, uh, Michael O'Neill will be absolutely delighted with that yeah. Stoke second, won't he? Because that's basically everything they'd worked on for this game coming to fruition. So it, the thing about that, you're exactly right, Steve. If you're going to play a certain way, that that's going to happen. You are going to get caught a couple of times like that in the season, and it's... It's just whether the other team profits from it, and this time, this time they did. So, it's not a great goal to concede on a couple of levels, but at the same time, I think it's you, you like you said, you almost have to forgive it because of what Town have committed to in terms of playing style and how they want to go forward. This is it, and and before we move on to the the third goal, which which I think would both, <laughs> well, we'll have a different view on, but. Someone was asking me. It was someone from from the other podcast, the town, the town social, the other other podcast, uh, mm. not to do them down. Was was asking me, do I think it is that the goals that they conceded were a failure of of town style, or were a side effect of the style, and and should we really be putting up with it as as a result of that? I think that that probably that second goal was, but also that was probably the most forgivable goal from a town perspective, other than the goalkeeper, because. It, that is the opposition doing something really, really well. If town keep, if that happens to town two or three more times over the next ten games, then yes, that's an issue because they need to be aware of that. But I think I think that one was probably the most forgivable. And I would also say that the approach that they're taken has probably still produced more goals for them than it has cost yeah. them this season, um, which and, is the main thing. And Stoke win that ball in an area. It's not like it's on the penalty spot. Yeah. They win that ball in an area, but they that's what I mean about O'Neill being delighted. I would imagine that is almost to, you know, very specifically what they've worked on mm-hmm. that goal this week on the training ground to catch town like that. And I think they will have watched a couple of other sides do it as well. Um, but yeah, I it's a good question that, to be perfectly honest with you. I do think the style has bought them more reward than anything else, but there is risk to it. And the problem is that I I think it, at the moment town is all a balancing act because they're still not getting enough longer term up top. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good question that. Yeah. The other other podcast has done well there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think as it stands, I think it's it's too early for me. It's a game or two too early to to lay these issues at the feet of the playing style. Um, and I think as I say, it's it's a style that yeah. was that we've seen. You know, particularly in a game where they've scored. 
well, one of them was a set piece, but they've scored two goals off the back of that playing style. Um, it, it I, depends. Do you think it depends if if this becomes a? It's well, what it comes down to is if this becomes a repeated pattern. Yeah, exactly. If opposition analysis basically focuses on winning that ball in the same area, not necessarily off Jonathan Hogg, but pressing in that same area of the pitch, doesn't it? I guess. Yeah, that's exactly it, and I think we're a, we're a game or two away from from that being the case. In honesty, yeah, Town Town got the equaliser. Then it was it was two all, and again it was a throw in. So Fraser Campbell takes a quick throw in off the right to to Carolighton, who just turns his defender, cuts inside, and and Mbenza's made a brilliant run. He's actually on the the left, and he's he cuts in towards the penalty spot. Aitin sees the run, p- plays the ball into him. I think it takes a, a little bit of a nick off a defender on its way through, but it doesn't really alter the course of the pass. And it's a it's a pretty simple finish for Mbenza. Yeah, it's a simple finish, but it's a very good finish. Yes. It's a very good finish. And I think, interestingly as well, that's the sort of finish that he made look simple. And I think you only do things like that when you're confident. Yes. And he was good again in Benza. Yeah. You know, let's give him his due. He was he was very, very good. If it hadn't been for Iting's first, you know, first half... I think it, Mbenza would have been, for me, undoubtedly man of the match, but I think Iting pipped him in the end. But yeah, he was good, and I thought what was it? I, I He scored the goal, and it was a great finish, but I thought what was interesting was his delivery was much better, in yeah. my humble opinion. It's There's still a way to go. We talked about that gap with his confidence still that needs filling a little bit, but you know, another two or three games like this... And very, very quickly, he, he's going to become... Town needs something other than Harry Toffolo. And if Mbenza can, can repeat this form and keep going, he really could be very, very valuable to them in this sort of December, January maelstrom of games. I thought it was it was really notable in the first half hour or so that Iting and Mbenza were developing that relationship. Because mm-hmm. Iting was... He was Going to both sides, to be fair, he was he was a, a bit all over the the final third, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a good way. Um, but he was getting out onto the wings and and keeping his face towards goal. I think we often see uh, Alex Pritchard gets in towards the corners of the boxes and then doesn't know what he's doing and ends up coming back on himself and and it slows the play down. Whereas Iting was sort of keeping his head up, staying towards keep keeping face towards goal and. That relationship on the right is really promising because, particularly in in Pippa's absence, because Rico De Haney wasn't getting as as high up as often and and being a, that attacking threat that that Pippa was, I think, just because he's not got the recovery pace that that Pippa has, so he was staying back a little bit. But it's been one of our criticisms that that Town have not used that right wing enough. Funnily enough, as I say, Mbenza was actually playing on the the left just for that for that phase of play and actually cutting from the left to get onto the pass. But we saw the relationship between him and Iting really developing in that first half and, and that was good to see. They were they actually I think because Pippa wasn't playing, they actually used the right wing less than they normally do, which I was surprised to see when I looked at the stats. But then when you look at where they actually did have touches on the right wing, there were far fewer of them sort of in their own third and a lot, lot more of them in the opposition third where they're going to cause trouble. And and Mbenza, I can't remember which game it was. I think it was Bristol we were saying, you know, he made several really, really good runs that his teammates just didn't use. And this was an example of them using that run and they got a goal out of it. I think as a midfielder though, I mean, he's, he's a Dutch midfielder who comes from Ajax. So he is, 
he's looking to hit space, but he needs players who are actively looking for space. That's the thing. So, yeah, good. Uh, long may that continue, really. Um, but the third goal was just an absolute nightmare. And, and again, this is another reason why I think it's not the style of play, because I think even with the style of play that they've committed to and even with the, the commitment to playing from the back, there is absolutely no way that Carlos Goldbrun and his co- coaching team want them taking those kinds of, of high risks. It was it was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, like I know Stearman doesn't cover himself in glory here, but it's just, it's basically just like a series of errors, isn't it? And I think it's even in positioning. Nobody gives anybody a proper out ball. Pereira doesn't take the decision to boot it clear, <laughs> essentially. Yeah which I know is the sort of antithesis of what Town won, but every so often you have to. You And that I, th- I felt that more than anything from Pereira. I felt that was a lack of match sharpness, Steve. I, d- I don't think he sniffed out the danger quick enough. No. I think I think he had more time than he thought, and he should have just not rose-edited it, but you, know, you can play that ball into midfield quite easily, can't you? Yeah, well, he just a couple of moments before, he'd... He skinned the, the the attacker and then played it to to Stearman and then they end up going back to Pereira again and and I think he as you say it's overconfidence he's he's got way too much faith in in what he's doing and he ends up just giving it straight away to to Tyrese Campbell I don't think any particular blame to to Stearman for for the ball going in off him he's just stuck a leg out to try and block the cross and it's ended up going in um, but yeah I mean just just the whole the whole thing is a is a bit of a shambles really I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Stearman should necessarily have gone back to Pereira for that pass either. I think there's an argument that no. Stearman should have just whacked it out for a corner as well rather than going back to Pereira. Um, but to be fair, Pereira had the opportunity to rose-ed it, so I can understand why Stearman did it. So, mm. yeah, I think you're being slightly kind to Stearman because the minute he starts getting back into the box, that he's he's panicking there. There's there's no there's no cut. I know I know it's difficult to sort of mm. attach blame when somebody's just trying to cut the cross out and it goes in off them like that. But he he is panicking there, Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is a pretty wild. You know, there's there's no thought attached to that. He's just trying to get something on it in an area where he could probably have thought about it a little bit more than that. In truth, yeah. But I think a defender's instinct is always to try and cut out crosses. And uh, yeah, anyway. So that that comes just before half time, which is a, a bit of a sickener because you feel like if it had been two two at the break, then that is an opportunity for the game to to calm down a little bit after a pretty frantic, not even a frantic first half, but even just a frantic final sort of twenty minutes of the, of the first mm-hmm. half. But uh, Stoke get get their goal again. It's it's three two, and then shortly after the break, they they get their fourth. They make it four two, and unfortunately, that's that's the game almost beyond doubt at that point. Um, it's another set piece, and yeah, I mean, it's a really nice bit of work. He's from run Sam. a long way. Yeah, <laughs> he's run a long way though, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. like it's it's a nice goal and it's a good finish. Although he hits it very centrally, I would argue. Um, but yeah, he's allowed to control that ball and take I mean what something like four or five touches mm-hmm. on the edge of the area and cut inside and shoot in, in space again 
as a manager, I suspect you're looking at that goal and you're just infuriated, really. Probably more than you are about the Stearman own goal, because the Stearman own goal, you can at least say, well, they're trying to do what I want, which is play out from the back and build from the back. Whereas that one is another just sort of a set of basic errors, really, from a set piece, isn't it? Yeah, and this is a... I mean, we've not really talked too much about set pieces this season, because... Until recently, it's not actually been that much of an issue. They've been pretty average for the division, which compared to last season was a big improvement because they were rock bottom for for set-piece goals scored and set-piece goals against. So it was sort of, there were so many other issues that it was almost not worth talking about. But that's two in this game now and and that puts them once again, unfortunately, top of the the league or bottom of the league, depending on how, how you want to look at it. For goals conceded from set pieces this season, they've conceded five, the same number as QPR. So, yeah, it's uh, th- as you say, th- those are the kinds of goals that that will have managers sort of pulling their hair out because you, it's a, it's a the ball comes in and and it's defended well to begin with ish. Um, Stearman just sort of hooks it away; it goes up in the air, but then they just they let Stoke come back at them, and Sam Clucas he gets past. Fraser Campbell, he gets past Jonathan Hogg and, and as you say, just, just belts it into the net before Pereira really knows what's coming. Yeah, and I don't think you can attach, like, it's one of those goals where you can't attach loads of individual blame to anyone, but collectively you think everybody should have just done better there. And I just, it was such a sickener that for town because... If you score just before half time, I don't really believe all this nonsense about it's the worst, you know, mm. best time to score slash worst possible time to concede. I don't really believe all that because I think half time is you can change everything at half time, but conceding just after half time mm. is a bit crap, particularly when you're in that position and it's suddenly four two and you're looking at having to score twice. And I just I thought the second half then. Basically, Stoke settled into a pattern, which was basically to let Town have the ball and pass it in certain areas and press them where they wanted to. And it was always going to be difficult from that point. But they did get the goal back, which was, I mean, like if you want to talk about Carlos being mad about a couple of goals, I would have thought O'Neill was absolutely furious about leaving one of the tallest players on the pitch in (laughs) acres of space to just nod in. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was absolutely obscene. I mean, just before we move on quickly there, I think the reason that Klukas ends up completely unmarked is because he's the one who actually took the corner that came in. And then, so when the the second ball drops to him, there's there's no one covering him. No one picks him up at any point. But yeah, I mean that that Nabi goal is, you know, weirdly not the tallest player on the pitch um, on the on the day Nabi Um But of course, because it's Stoke. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Suter is is a little bit taller. But yeah, I mean, and Ben's a lovely delivery from the left. Mm, great delivery. And. And yes, I was just six yards out, completely unmarked. He just nods yeah. it in, absolutely there insane. You go. Help yourself, son. Help yourself. Just, just a ridiculous goal to concede, and and so easy for Town. Um, I mean, it's good to see Nabi Sar on on the score sheet because, 
as we've talked about, you know, having those that that big centre back is such a it's so simple, but it's such a big uh, benefit to you at set pieces. But they won't score an easier set piece goal than that this season. It was it was yeah nuts. But uh, to go to go back to your original question about do I still think the defence is okay and scoring goals is an issue? This second half was a really big indication of where I think the problem lies which is mad in a game that Town have scored three goals in don't get me wrong I understand that but at the same time 74% possession in the second half Mm. for Town Um, eight shots only two on target and if you're if you're having 74% possession you have to do a little bit more than basically create one big chance in the half that's that's just not enough because that's an opposition who are being who are deliberately being passive admittedly but at the same time that like if you're if you're going to be a successful championship side you can't have over 70% possession of the football in a half and score only one goal mm. which comes from a set piece after a defensive error leaves your centre back free to nod it in and this this is where I sort of talk about I feel like I'm repeating myself but this is where you the fundamentals are still issues there and it's easy to sort of go in this game well town scored three goals so everything must be getting better but you look back at the goals and you think well yeah the third was a massive error really so they've scored two from open play both Iting heavily involved in both who had a really really good game but they've got to get so much more of that going because this game was there for them Steve which is crazy to say when it was 4-3 but they could have quite easily at least come away with a point from this game because as I said Stoke's whole game plan when they went particularly when they went 4-2 up was just to be completely passive completely passive they were they were barely you know they (laughs) town had three times the amount of passes in the half it's it's defensively it was not a good game for town I'm not even going to try and pretend that but at the same time the same attacking issue was there which is that all of the ball all of the time on the ball loads and loads of passing still not actually creating big chances and it it's a worry when teams are back into that mode despite town playing so much quicker and having more energy and trying to attack a different way Teams have gone back into how they used to defend against Town, which is to say, okay, will you have the ball? Yeah, even even playing at home, and even if they're mm. sort of up as a as a playoff challenger. So yeah, I I, th- I think there's there's a lot of truth in that, and you know the Rotherham and Luton games and the Birmingham games, you know they've and this game they've had two points out of them combined out of those four games combined. So I think there's there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. To be honest. They did try and go three five two to try and change it. They got Danny Ward on alongside Fraser Campbell, but again, it just it didn't it didn't really change very much. They had Mbenza as a wing back, they had Toffolo as, as another wing back, but they also I mean he made two changes in the in the eighty eighth minute. I mean it's far too late by then, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like you could see as the minutes were ticking by in that game that there was a need to change it on about. For me, about 65 minutes. Mm. Do something different for the last 25 minutes. And I I think there needed to be something a bit radical there. Because when you are playing against a side who are passive, it doesn't really matter if you have a three up top or you switch to even a four. They're, they're equipped to deal with that because essentially they're playing with like a six-man block. So 
yeah, it needed something different. It was just, I just didn't think it was a great day at the office really from from anyone. And I thought it's, it's just easy to, <laughs> I think it's a mark of how well Corbyn has done that it's very easy to forget the fundamental issues that town have. And I think that's that's a, a sign that the manager is, is a good manager and he's, he's he can make immediate impacts, but there are longer-term problems towns still have to have to sort in there. And it seems crazy to talk about that after a game in which they've scored three goals, but that is the, that's the rub, I'm afraid. And they're coming into a period of games now where they've got... If they need to beat Wickham. They have to oh, beat yeah, Wickham. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it really is a must-win because then they've got five games after that that are all a challenge. They're all a challenge. So, yeah, they, they need to... I'm not saying they deserve something out of the game on Saturday because I think just because you have the ball a lot, that doesn't mean you deserve something out of the game. But... I think they will look back on that game and think we should have had something out of it. Yeah, and well, when it's when it's stupid errors like that. Yeah, yeah, you, you can't really make the argument that you that you deserved it because you you've taken it away from from yourself, really. But yeah, I, yeah. I would agree. I mean, Stoke were, I think, beatable. When you've got when you've got two teams that are making errors like that, it does often come down to who makes the fewest errors and. And it just so happened that Town made one more than than Stoke did. But I mean, that means they've, they've they've committed four errors that have led to goals in the game, and and it's not good enough. And I I I think that the silver lining, if there is one, to the I mean, it's it's one win in six now, which is not great. I think the silver lining is that those defensive issues are still fixable, because. I think it's easier to have a to coach a team that's a good attacking unit to defend better mm-hmm. than it is to try and can try and as Danny Cowley found last year, try and do the other way around and and coach a, a quite a well drilled defensive unit into then becoming an attacking side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there is a silver lining there. On the other hand, as you as you say, we just had two weeks on the training ground and. If if this game had happened sort of middle of December when they've just had six games on the bounce and they're they're all just mentally frazzled and physically knackered, then you almost just go, Well, that's the schedule, that's you know, you're gonna get games like this when the players are also knackered. But they've just had I don't want to say two weeks off because I know that the you know, Lewis O'Brien mm. made the point in the um in the pre match presser saying, you know, for them it doesn't feel like two weeks off. But they've had two weeks on the training ground to work on those fundamentals and they've come into this game and made those stupid errors, which is mm. is not terribly reassuring to be honest. No, it's not. It's not. But at the same time, I think like we we have to be careful because we've both been fairly negative with with the game, and I think it was there's no other way we could have been. But the 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 fundamentals, sorting fundamental issues out, doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in ten games. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't even happen in half a season, really. Turning town round is is turning a juggernaut round, not a sports car, and. It's going to be two transfer windows before it's his his squad. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be there. There's going to be a lot of churn over those transfer windows as well. I suspect maybe not in January because I think it's going to be a weird one. But certainly in the summer, there's going to be a bit of a churn again. So I, it's just I don't know. It's one of them games that reminds you, right? Okay, don't get carried away just because Town yeah. are doing things quicker and the press is back. And they are managing to score in games now. That doesn't mean there aren't still sort of 
huge issues such as still being way too easy to defend against and there being a very obvious way to set up against town because I think the problem with town at the moment is that town is a team like Wickham will look at this fixture and they will think they can get something from it even though town score have been scoring goals and they attack in a different way and they, they're a good possession side and they pass really, really well. Wickham will be thinking, will be looking at the Rotherham game plan, won't they, yeah. basically? Just get as many men behind the ball as possible, let town have it, work hard for 90 minutes and they may get some sort of reward out of it. I don't think they will. I think town will have too much for them and, and one way or another will we'll get the win out of the game. But yeah, it it's... The next, the next sort of after the Wiccan game, the next five games, I think we're probably going to know a lot more about where Town actually are in terms of what Carlos has managed to affect and what where the squad is and a couple of other things because they are they this this run in December is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's interesting you you mentioned sort of January there and and potential in the window because we asked Carlos Corbran about the the change to the five subs rule at the press conference on on Friday uh, sorry on yeah. Thursday and yeah he, he wasn't a happy boy about it to be honest he said he he, underst- he said he understood why they've made the change because of the injuries etc but he questioned why they've done it now um why they've changed it mid-season and the point he was making was you know we we might have set up our, our squad differently if we'd known that we were going to have five substitutions available, and that it favours the the teams with with stronger squads. And I think it's difficult to disagree with that, to be honest. Yeah, I think it, I, <laughs> I think it's a bit far fetched if I'm brutally honest. Bear mm. in mind all the messages we've had out of the club and from Phil direct that to think that they would have set the squad up differently if they'd have known this was coming. I, th- I, I think he's talking about one or two extra players rather than five or six. Yeah, but I'm still I'm still not convinced they would have actually gone out and got them, Steve, if I'm brutally honest. Um, but it is a nightmare for town because... <laughs> Like it, the thing is, I come at this from the point of view that if you look at the EFL schedule across all of the leagues, it's absolutely vital because mm. the the runs of games in each league coming up over December and January in particular, but right till the end of the season, if you have a look, yeah. it is crazy, absolutely crazy. So I think it's completely necessary. The problem is we podcast and analyse a team with perhaps the least suited squad in the division to it. That's the reality. Yeah. I think what it is going to force him to do is there's been a lot of talk of, let's see, a bit more of... Critchlow, Daly, you know, various others who have who have sort of th- that cast that have been on the bench over the course of the season, they're going to have to be used. They're, you know, mm. he's, he's going to have to get some minutes in their legs and get them on the pitch because it, they're going to be needed. There's no denying that. But it's a, it's a sort of necessary evil in my honest view. It's just that it doesn't really doesn't suit town um, as things stand because they, there is no denying that it's a slim squad. Yeah, I think ideally you probably want to have your two players p- per position plus an extra defender, an extra midfielder and an extra sort of forward, someone who can play across across the line. And that, that would probably be your ideal and, and unfortunately they're not going to be able to do that and they've got to face uh, another 10 games before they have the opportunity to, to add anyone. Um, but they've... 
they're not they're not the only side who are a bit slim though, no, to be fair. True. They they are they are you know, they are I would say one of the worst in the league, but they're not the only side. It's not every side is Nottingham Forest. No. Where they can put nine players on the bench, all of whom would walk into sort of half the first teams in the division. You know, like even somebody like Middlesbrough Steve, the squad is not massive. No. Far from it. So I don't think it's like this massive, huge disadvantage. It's just that past towns I'm going to say normal substitutions so that's uh, bringing on like a Bakuna or a Pritchard or someone like that changing one of the wingers and Carlos quite likes to sort of change, shape, reshape his defence at some point in the game past their normal substitutes the problem is the other two in effect are going to be not I don't want to say that sort of lower tier of player because I don't that's not what I mean but it's more than likely going to be a youngster isn't it or somebody who's not quite at the level of of the person they're replacing yet yeah yeah I think that's that's fair to say I mean I'm looking at number of players used in the league which is slightly misleading because obviously if you've had injuries you're going to have used more rather than it necessarily being that you've got a deeper squad but town are pretty well slap bang in the middle of that having used 22 um uh, Millwall and Luton have each used 20 that's the least and the most is, is your Blackburn and Nottingham Forest have each used 26 so um, but but also worth remembering Forest have had a change of manager which is inevitably going to lead to more players being used as well but another one player who did have to get drafted in was was Joel Pereira. We said we'd we'd talk about him a bit. He he came in on loan from Manchester United in pre season, and he was brought in just as a just to be the backup, basically because Ryan Schofield had broken his thumb, so they needed someone to to sit on the bench behind Ben Hamer. Uh, unfortunately, someone in Ben Hamer's household has has been told they need to self isolate, and so Hamer does as well. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. I suspect strongly suspect that he was probably going to miss the Wickham game as well. Well, at at time of recording, Carlos Corbran wasn't able to confirm how many games he was Hamer was going to miss. Uh, I don't know if that's couldn't or or wouldn't, to be perfectly honest. But I, I suspect he's going to miss Wickham at the very least. He picked Joel Pereira basically just because Ryan Schofield's not had too much time on the training pitch and not too many minutes. He's played uh, 45 minutes uh, for the B team where he felt his, his thumb again. So he, he went off at, at the break and then he played 60 minutes for the for an underage, I think it was the under 18s or the under 19s. Um, and that's all the time he has had. So he felt that Pereira, having had more time on the training pitch, was, was the man for the job. But yeah, it was a, a debut to forget is a term I've used about five times in my reports over the weekend. Yeah, it's a bit of a Roy the Rovers phrase that as well. Is it really? The young man's it, the young man's had a debut to forget. Is that uh, I, someone I, in the crowd? Speech yeah. bubble from the crowd. What what would they do yeah. for Roy the Rovers now without that, the crowd there? How are they going to tell their stories in, a, in an empty stadium? Well, I'll let you know when I read those issues. Lovely. Because I am up to date. Thank you very much. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I I don't think it was quite. It's that classic thing with goalkeepers. If they make errors that lead to goals, they're going to get absolutely slaughtered. He should have done better on the one that went through his legs. There was no denying he had chance to clear, I mean, arguably twice on, on Stearman's own goal. But I think you can't... The, the one thing you can't do is just give up on a goalkeeper after 90 minutes yeah. because if you do that, you've destroyed them. They're, they're done for, basically, because... 
they'll never get their confidence back if they come in one game, make a couple of errors, are immediately dropped. What do you think is going to happen when you know there's that emergency situation where they've got to be called back in? It's going to just go to pot again. And I think you have to almost look at Ben Hamer as the example. And Hamer is not... He, don't get me wrong, he still made a couple of errors this season, but there's no denying he's a world away from where he was in that spell at the end of the Premier League and a couple of times in the champ where he just looked like a goal waiting to happen mm. in each game. So I think don't give up on Pereira quite yet. I don't, I'm not for a second saying he's going to become the next Peter Schmeichel. <laughs> but at the same time, it's 90 minutes and it's quite a while since he's had a full 90 minutes it was, we believe, quite a sort of last-minute thing as well. Not as in on the day, but, you know, he didn't... He's not spent two weeks preparing for it, has he? No, Hamer was definitely in training in the first week of the international break from, you know, we know that... Well, he was videoed. He was in the video doing his pointing to his Cavonia logo. So he he was definitely there, and, and I believe that it was at least Monday he's not been there since. So I think Pereira's probably had about a week to to mm. knowing that he's going to be in the side but th- this th- th- what what you just said is exactly why I've not gone too hard mm. on him uh, in any of my analysis and I've I've not especially singled him out in the conclusions or anything like that because it, if he does it again on Tuesday then obviously we're going to have to but um yeah when you've got a, ke- a keeper who's coming in for a, almost a one-off game and they've not played for ages and it's their debut for the club you expect you expect something to happen almost, um, particularly mm. at this level. That said, he shouldn't have let that goal go between his legs. I don't think. No, he, sh- he shouldn't. He shouldn't. But there's, <laughs> like that's that's not to say that Schofield would have come in and been man of the match, yeah, exactly. and Town would have won three nil. That's that's the thing. There's been a lot of. I I remember saying this at the time when Schofield played in that nil nil against Middlesbrough, and he played against Lincoln as well. And to be yeah, fair, he did well against yeah. Lincoln. But against Middlesbrough, everyone was sort of raving about him afterwards. But they forget of that save. Yeah, but they that for- point blank save. They forget that there was another. There was a cross that came in where oh, Chalaber had to climb two up. set pieces. Yeah, weren't there? Yeah, where he completely flapped at it, and and Chalaber had to clear one of them off the line, and that's the only reason he kept the clean sheet. So I'm not saying this to have a massive go at, at Ryan Schofield. I think he's, from what I've seen of him, he's a really talented young keeper, and he's a really good lad as well. Whenever I've spoken to him, he's uh, he's been absolutely spot on. Um, so no, I'm not. I'm... You said it now. Chicken in <laughs> Schofield jibe. <laughs> but what yeah what i'm saying is is yeah you, this is going to happen when you've got a keeper coming mm. in for, for one off so schofield's going to come in and he's a young goalkeeper and unless he's completely exceptional he's going to make errors himself yeah and i think it's just i think the problem that pereira's got is that he came to town and town fans who are active on social media immediately saw all the hearts fans laughing along and you know what's what were they I can't remember what they were calling him it's not worth repeating anyway but then he comes in for his debut and he concedes a couple of goals where you can point to errors there's like a sort of uh, old shaggy <laughs> feeling <laughs> 
but I don't I don't think I think you what you're looking for is repeat patterns. So I think if he plays against Wickham and he concedes another one like that, then you can start to think, okay, yeah. what's the issue here? Is it the basics? Is it confidence? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But yeah, I I think it's dangerous to write him off after one game. I mean, people wrote David de Gea off, didn't they? <laughs> after like three months, yeah. saying he would never make it in the Premier League and he was too slight and he couldn't get used to it and he kept making errors and. I think that, on balance, that's probably turned out all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's a frustrating result ultimately, though, and mm. and I, th- I, th- it does feel like we we've talked privately off mic about at what point are the fans gonna is the novelty gonna wear off from the style of play and the fans are just gonna be like, well, it's all well and good that you scored three, but we've lost the game, and 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 Saturday felt like the game where the honeymoon period is is over now and they're going to be asking questions i mean we've had people in my mentions asking questions about style of play which is the first time that's happened um this season since Corbrand's come in so and it wasn't, I think, it wasn't just town social but i think the i can understand that steve because like again without trying to repeat myself i think that's one of the games where you're reminded of the fundamental issues with Huddersfield yeah. Town that have been there for you know arguably two years and again this is why I think it was such a weird game such a bizarre game because we're saying that after they've scored three goals but it, it was a complete anon- uh, you know anomaly of a game to be brutally honest and I can I can understand the frustrations but I think you have to like Corbyn and his, and his team are doing everything they can to to try and get what they can from this squad. But this is a season. Like I'm not going to say it's the worst possible season for him to come in, but this is a season where I think arguably 75% teams of that division can only manage from game to game. Yeah. Because they're coming so quickly. Because there you have these runs like Town are about to enter where it is just relentless and when games are coming like that and it is relentless to try and change a playing style and to try and force a new sort of framework over a squad of players who have been playing the same way for a couple of years that that is something that takes time it takes training ground time it takes for you know a couple of pre-seasons arguably and it's just it's just not gonna happen so I think town fans have got to be slightly I think I think the way to see this season is take the progress where where you can see it you know and we've talked before about little increments in different places and just sort of if if everything is roughly going the right way you have to just sort of say yeah okay fine these results are going to happen town will lose more in December there's no denying the difference is you also fancy them to win a couple as well, mm-hmm. which I would argue at points over the last two years you didn't have that feeling. But even though there's there's a really testing run coming up, you wouldn't be surprised if Town won two games out of that five or three games out of that five, mm-hmm. and that's the difference. And that's where to to take the joy and the positivity. If Town go and lose all five games now, then we'll have to talk about yeah. things in a different way. But I don't think they will. I genuinely don't think they will. 
Yeah, and it does... It, I was thinking this at the weekend, and what you were just saying has reminded me of it again, and maybe it's just because it's my frame of reference, and I don't want to draw a complete false equivalence because I'm not saying they're going to go and win the Champions League in two years, but it does remind me a little bit of when Jurgen Klopp first came in at Liverpool, and they were conceding a lot of goals from set pieces, they were making a lot of individual errors, there was... Dejan Lovren in particular was at fault for a lot of them, but it wasn't just him. And and there is that transition from and that was and that was a team that we're going from Brendan Rodgers, who actually plays quite a similar style to Jurgen Klopp. So it, it does. There is a transitional period. I think we're past the point where you can write off those kinds of stupid errors as teething troubles and as side effects of the style of play. I think it was just stupid errors, to be honest. And and mm. uh, but it it is going to take. It is still going to take all season to to get the team up to scratch, and even then, he's playing with a squad that that let's be honest wouldn't ideally be his squad, and that's why we're talking about the two transfer windows. You know, this is mm. th- there is a an aspect of they you, but I also there's people been in my mentions sort of saying, well, uh, this is a lack of investment, this is a lack of ambition. If they'd bought more players, they'd be doing better. I don't know how true that is because. We've seen from from other teams, Spurs, Forest, um, this season as well, that just going and buying a load of players and buying a whole new team, it isn't gonna. It, it can be completely counterproductive at times to to get too many players into the squad. And Town have already they've brought back a goalkeeper who hadn't played all season and had played. You know, I think he's played more games for Town this year than he has done since he's been at the club. Ben Hamer. Pip isn't the new right back. Um, you've got the centre backs playing a new style, and Naby Sarr is a new player in that role. Um, you know, you, you've got Alex Vallejo is going to be coming into the team. Carol Eitin is bedding into the team. Isaac and Benzer and Adama Diakabi have barely played for the club over the last 12 months. So, you've, and Danny Ward is going to be the new centre forward. You've already got a lot of players there who are new to the side. I don't think it's terribly helpful to throw in another four. <laughs> <laughs> no, and bear in mind that there would have been Rolando Aaron's, yeah. which was just well, just yeah. completely went wrong. And we still think he will come in very early in January potentially. I I don't I don't think these are issues that you just throw players at. I I really don't. Mm. And I think I think the difference was last January, Town needed to throw players at it because like the squad after the Premier League and after the start with Jan was so far down on its bum it literally needed an injection of personality it needed some different faces at the training ground it needed a different vibe in the dressing room and to they went and got smith rowe and andy king and uh, steerman and you know they they did throw players at it this isn't i don't think this was the summer to do that because as you've just very eloquently explained it's not when you're trying to sort of change the entire footballing culture of a football club, it's not just a case of right, take out these twenty-two players and give me twenty-two more. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that. And I don't think my gut feeling is I don't think town fans are going to get this radical investment they think they will in January. I think they might get Aaron's, and I suspect that might be it. Mm. If I'm brutally honest, the five subs thing may change that, so they may go in and potentially look at the loan market but there again 
who who are you realistically going to be able to loan in and be able to say you're likely not going to start every game? Because I tell you now, Corbin will still want to start the players that are starting the games now. He he's got his core. He's he's a Bielsa acolyte. You know, he wants his sort of eighteen, nineteen players that everything else revolves around. Mm. So, yeah, I I don't think bodies is the answer. I think it's just. When you're changing fundamental issues, it takes time. It takes time. Yeah, Magic, that will do, I think. Ockley Books, have have you still got the sale on there, Dave? Yeah, there's loads of stuff. Buy books. They're good for you. (laughs) Excellent. Good for your brain. And obviously everything's on examinerlive.co.uk. I'm taking the week off now, so I'm not going to be with you. I know, I know. I'm not going to be with you again until Saturday, but I'll leave you in the very capable hands of my colleagues, so be nice to them in my absence, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Bye.